Here's the 2 1. That's hit in the air to right. Tavares off the bench and he's tied it. That swing chases Machi. And Tavares, who had only three home runs in over 230 at bats in the big leagues, takes a curtain call here in the seventh inning of game two. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Prospect Named Later. I'm your host, Colin Garner, and I'm joined tonight, as always, by my co host, Kyle Reese. How are you doing tonight? Hello there, Colin. How are you, sir? Oh, doing great. We got Cardinals baseball's back at every level, the major league team. Uh, struggling a little bit, but not off to the worst start. The minor leagues are uh, four or five games in, depending on which team you're talking about. So we finally have real baseball to talk about. Finally, there's things happening. We've been talking about um, nothing but past results since you know September of last year, and so we're we're finally into the the real deal. And we're just going to take a level by level look about uh, at each team in the Cardinal system and. And we'll start with Memphis, who's off to a crazy hot start tonight. Or tonight, they're up seven nothing in the second, and just on the season, they're four and one, looking to become five and one tonight. Kyle, what stood out to you with the Memphis club so far? The offense is incredible. Everyone hits. Tyler O'Neill has four home runs in five games and a little change. It seems like every little, uh, every person is contributing. Max Schrock is hitting amazing at the two spot in the lineup. Initially, Randy Rosarena was supposed to start in Springfield, and because of the promotion of Harrison Bader to the big league club, Rosarena backfilled to AAA, and he has been incredible at the top of the order. He, he's not, he doesn't have a ton of hits. Uh, he only has like 17 at bats, but 17, 18 at bats. He had a double tonight, but he's taking a ton of pitches, taking a lot of really good at bats. He has a, a, a handful of stolen bases, of three of them at this point. I got hit by a pitch tonight, but I love the way that he has set the table. I think Carson Kelly's look good. Um, it, one thing that's really stuck out to me, Austin Gomber struggled a little bit, Hudson struggled a little bit, uh, but, but John Gant looks incredible. I, I've been watching the majority of his starts tonight, and his fastball looks good. He's using it everywhere and in every count. His changeup looks solid, and his curveball is really, really biting. And I didn't get to watch his first start. He, you know, he uh, he started the the season opener, but he's really impressed me tonight. Yeah, Gant looked just in control from what I saw tonight, which wasn't a lot. They got up seven nothing, and I flipped over to the Springfield game, but. He just looked completely in control. He was getting ahead with his fastball. His breaking stuff was keeping guys off balance. The thing that you brought up with Max Schrock, and I, I mentioned it just briefly in, in the article that's posting tomorrow at Redbird Daily. But, you know, he's off to a hot start, and it's too early to really be thinking that this should happen, but it's not too early to have the discussion is, at what point does Max Schrock, you know, kind of make Greg Garcia a moot point? Garcia hasn't been very good. He... Had a chance to drive in a tying run last night, ended up not doing it. It seems to me as, as this glut of infielders rises through the system, Garcia's hold on that 
25th roster spot that he's had for the last two plus years just becomes uh, in- increasingly less secure, let's say. And Schrock seems to fit that role perfectly, especially if Munoz can play shortstop, which, I mean, I think you and I are skeptical about, but uh, the team seems high on. At the plate, he's looked awful. But, you know, I think Max Schrock is a really interesting guy who we didn't see a lot of in spring training. The other guy you touched on is Tyler O'Neill. For as worried as people were about him in spring training and his injury, and we didn't see him, and he was you know playing for a fourth outfield spot, and he couldn't do that ultimately because of the hamstring injury. For him to come out and just mash some balls over the wall early on is a great sign, and it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even even the balls that he's not putting over the fence, he's taking to the to the warning track, and that's I mean he's just hammering the baseball. One thing I will say about Schrock, I can't help but think that the best way to handle Schrock is like the way the Cardinals are handling Carson Kelly. The the last thing I would want is to call Schrock up for anything other than a starting role. Uh, you know, Col- Colton Wong got hurt much like if Yachty got hurt and they had to go on the DL. Then that's, then that's how I would use Schrock. But other than that, like, it's, it's his first taste of AAA. To your point, you know, you prefaced what you were saying with that. Uh, but let him get some of that, let him get the seasoning. But it, it, the bat looks ready. The bat looks good and ready uh, right now. Um, Colin, uh, how many how many games of Memphis have you got to watch? What are what are some like the, the underlying things that the staff are telling you that, that have stuck out to you? So I, I'll be honest, I have been very frustrated watching their series in Frisco because there was no scoreboard on the broadcast, and so I had no idea what the count was because I wasn't like intently watching every pitch. Yeah. But what really stuck out to me is just how, like you said, how good their offense is. It's incredible. It's like one through eight, one through nine is just really good. Carson Kelly's numbers aren't great, but he's driving the ball. He hit a home run last night to the opposite field. In the first inning or second inning today, he drove a curveball, a first pitch curveball to the opposite field. Yeah. Uh, for I mean, ultimately it was now, but it was a really good swing. Um, it's just great to see him do that after after a tough spring where I think uh, mentally he might have been in a tough spot with with being a backup or, or not that he doesn't want that role or anything, but just that's a hard that's a hard job to have. That's a hard thing to do is not get consistent at bats and for him to go out there and find a rhythm early in the season is a good thing to see. From the pitching side, this isn't really something the numbers this is something the numbers do bear out, and I said Dakota Hudson only struck out one guy in his start, which, yeah. you know, I don't want to get too worked up over one start, but it's a continuation of a trend that we saw last year that ultimately needs to turn around if he's going to reach the height of his potential. And, you know, obviously one start, nothing to really be alarmed about, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And we've talked about it all spring training, all off season. It would have been nice if he came out and just – threw up 12 K's in his first game. You know, ultimately that's not what happened, but um, he still has a, a full season ahead of him to, to build on those strikeout numbers from last year. And he'll go tomorrow and hopefully, uh, hopefully those strikeout numbers, you know, they go up, but that's a, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. So, so we'll move on uh, to talk about Springfield who I, you know, I'll, I'll know a lot more about Springfield than I do Memphis to be honest with you. Cause uh, I had a chance to be around them a little bit on their media day and talk to their manager, who was on the previous episode of the podcast. So if you're interested, check that one out. But what stuck out to me about Springfield is that really their pitchers who, I mean, let's be honest, if they're going to sniff the Texas League playoffs, their pitchers have to carry them because that lineup is is not 
as what it was last year. Let's just put it that way. And and they haven't been very good. Woodford gave up five runs tonight through less than five innings. Helsley got uh, nicked up a little bit by some blue pits or a seeing eye ground ball, and then he gave up a big three-run homer uh, that made his line look a lot worse than it could have been. Connor Green couldn't find the strike zone and, and gave up some big hits and ultimately didn't make it out of the second inning. What's wrong with these guys, Kyle? I, you know, I'm pretty disappointed I didn't get to watch Connor Green start. I really wanted to see that, and I only caught parts of Ryan Helsley start. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm, I've, I've been able to watch both of Woodford start, and he just he's, he lets up too much contact. I mean, I, I think I've only seen two or three swing. You know, I'm flipping between the Cardinals, between Memphis and Springfield, and I think I've only seen uh, see him put a ball by a, a hitter taking a swing maybe three times all day. Like, he's okay. It's just, I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he's, he's, he's on that level yet. You know, and it, without, without seeing Helsley, uh, the full start, it's hard for me to say. I just, you know, sometimes this is how the season starts out. Sometimes you got to be a little bit of patient. But, uh, like, even watching Connor Jones, I watched all of Connor Jones' starts the other night. And he was getting hammered. Uh, he had he had terrible control early on. He was letting up a lot of fly balls for the ground ball pitcher that he is. Uh, and I guess what I'm just saying is, like, if we're, if we're going to generalize it, everyone's kind of underachieving right now at Springfield, except for Tommy Edmond, who or, who is hammering the baseball. Had another another hit or two tonight, and. Uh, you know, it, it's from top to bottom on that lineup. It looks like Andrew Kisner is pressing at the plate. He looks anxious and uh, almost like he's trying to carry the team on his shoulders. And it just doesn't look right. And it's, I mean, frankly, it, it, it's kind of boring at Springfield. Am I off there? No, it's really, it's not the most exciting roster. There are some pitchers that are, that are fun to watch, like Helsley and Green, who we touched on. But the outfield is boring. I like Lane Thomas, who we've talked about. He just seems like a, a solid all-around player who probably doesn't have the highest ceiling, but he's a solid minor leaguer, kind of like Edmund, who's going to have a chance to, to touch the major leagues at some point. But the two outfielders that they signed, I, I believe they were minor league free agents. I mean, not a lot there. I mean, they're minor league free agents for a reason. Guys don't let their top prospects just walk to another team so those guys are reclamation projects who um, at this point isn't going well at all minor league bullpens are always bad I guess and yeah and when you don't when you're not getting what you need from Helsley or Woodford or Green Tavis struggled as his first double start and the best start they've had has been Chris Ellis who was supposed to be in their bullpen that's kind of the way the season's gone for them, and if they're going to have any chance, Johnny Rodriguez was quick to point out, if they're going to have any chance this year, Ryan Helsley needs to be what Jack Flaherty was last year, and and he wasn't that in his first start, he'll have another chance tomorrow. I was encouraged, though, by like his stuff is still there. He was, he was getting nicked up by some not-so-hard-hit balls before the homer that eventually undid him, but there was a couple hanging breaking balls that he threw, and he was still getting whiffs on because it is that caliber of a pitch, which is still, you know, I, that's still there. Hopefully he finds the command. And I'm always interested, Kyle, and maybe you can speak to this, is guys go from, you know, Helsley was in big league camp. Woodford was in big league camp. 
how stretched out are they compared to how, what we expect from a major league pitcher to be stretched out? Like, are they ready to go six or seven innings on opening day of the minor league season? So, you know, it's different for everyone. Hudson and Helsley won't be, remember? They they were being used in primarily two-inning stints all the way up until they broke camp. So that's a really good point. That's a really good thing to bring up. Also, I want to say, and I know you mentioned it, but if you haven't gone back and listened to the 26-minute media scrum that Colin recorded and asked a really great question about Ryan Helsley, you need to go back and listen to that because it is great. It's informative. It, it'll make you want to play for Johnny Rodriguez, which is incredible. Can I touch I mean, on that for a second? I touched. Yeah. I was talking to one of my former teammates who graduated uh, last year, and I said my favorite comment that he said of the whole thing was somebody asked him, and this was I didn't really like that they even asked him this question. They said, "Who do you expect to break out this year?" And he said, "Everyone," because everyone. that's my job as minor league manager. I don't want to sell anyone short, basically. And I thought that was just fantastic. He is a funny guy. I mean, he's the type of guy that after the game you, you want to drink a beer with, to be honest. He's just really funny. He's always been great. Um, he's so gracious, too. So the first time uh, last season when I went to try to talk to him um, about Magnera Sierra, and frankly, I was intimidated to talk to, to, talk to Sierra, who, was in the, who had been in the big leagues at that point, and Johnny. They said, go talk to Johnny after batting practice. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm standing on the field trying to be out of the way and not be noticed. And Johnny just kind of walks by me, and I don't want to like really interrupt him. And he goes, you know, hey, I got, I, I'm supposed to talk to someone. Like, who am I supposed to talk to you? And he points at me, and I'm like, I feel like most guys would just take the opportunity to blow that off, honestly. Um, but he just, he's just an awesome guy. But it's really, really funny, especially stuff on the pace of play. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great listen. Uh, you know what we were. I don't even remember what we were talking about before we went into that. Uh, Helsley? Somebody just hit a ball in the gap for Springfield. Oh, yeah, it was, it was Lane Thomas. Oh, yeah, that guy. I, I was getting distracted. I was going to say that's six, uh, six doubles for Lane Thomas in five games, or in six games. It kid's, it kid's kind of impressive. He might be a little bit of a sleeper. But, uh, yeah, you, you make a really good point getting back to Helsley and Hudson. For the most part, up until spring training and camp broke, uh, they, they were two three-inning guys. So, you know, John Gant was getting starts. He was probably a little bit more stretched out than Helsley and Hudson. But for the most part, you know, anyone who didn't carry all the way to the end of camp, they should all be ready. Like Woodford, Woodford was used a little bit, but he went to minor league camp. He should be stretched out. Uh, nearly everyone other than Helsley and Hudson should be stretched out. Yeah, that... That seems to make sense, but those top-of-the-line guys, like you said, it's, it's really interesting, and you wonder how much they're trying to compensate for not being stretched out by maybe trying to pitch to contact a little bit too much and, and keep their pitch count down uh, and get deeper into a game when, when they know that bullpen's not necessarily going to back them up. Somebody else that was interesting that Johnny talked about was the guy at the plate for Springfield right now, and that's John Nagowski. He mentioned that he had worked with George Greer in Palm Beach to shorten his swing and, and hopefully generate – some more carry on his line drives instead of top spinning balls. He he backspin balls that would carry into the gaps or over the wall more. Has that been something that stood out to you at this point? I know he's had a pretty good start to the season, but has that been something that you've noticed? I'm gonna lump Nagowski in with a uh, Graydon Goatsman and Victor Roach here because they're all they're all older for the Springfield level. And there's the Goatsman and uh, Roach are the two outfielders that you brought up, the minor league journeymen to the Cardinal side. All three of those guys work with career, and all three of those guys have, quote-unquote, re 
engineered swings. Uh, I believe with with Roach and Goatsman, it was the launch angle. Uh, while with Mikowski, like you mentioned, uh, it was it was shortening up. And uh, th- this is this is what I'll say. Uh, John Mikowski doesn't look any different to me. Uh, he he looks. It does seem like everything he's hitting is in the air, but over the small sample of what I've seen, it, it looks exactly like what I saw last year. Uh, with Roach and Grossman are interesting, or Goatsman rather. I, I don't have high hopes for Goatsman. He just he looks. Both of them are big boys first. Like they're massive body gentlemen. Uh, I I just don't see it with with Goatsman. And Roach is interesting. Roach is huge, and he's built like Jag, except for maybe even bigger, like muscular wise. And he hit a he hit a shot tonight, like a moon shot uh, in Frisco which is where Springfield is playing. They have this like little pavilion out in left field. And then behind the pavilion is a gate, and he hit it out of the gate in the little pavilion. He, he's kind of interesting, but again, uh, too old, too experienced to be at the level. Uh, they've all made ch- swing changes, and they don't look that obvious. Uh, and the results haven't necessarily proven that the change was worth it. Yeah, that's that's kind of disappointing to hear. I mean, Nagalski is kind of a fun story. He was an independent ball, but ultimately he wasn't. I mean, he was drafted. He wasn't uh, a minor league free agent originally. So, you know, at the end of the day, he he, I guess the expectations were a little bit higher for him than what you might expect coming from indie ball, at least at the outset of his professional career. But I'm just so excited that my my guy Tommy Edmond is raking to start the season. I love what Tommy Edmond is is. How he, who he is as a player and how he's played so far. Uh, Johnny mentioned that they're bouncing those guys between shortstop, second base, third base, between Edmund and Seferina and Edmundo Sosa. Um, Sosa hasn't been great so far, which is, you know, you like to see a guy get off to a hot start, but uh, he had that hammock bone injury that I wonder, you know, maybe he's still feeling some some after effects of. And it's super, it's been cold everywhere that Springfield's been in Texas but I still think they've had some pretty cold weather in Midland which is just not fun to play in and it kind of makes you want to just throw out the sample size a little bit but other than that the Springfield roster is a little bit bare yep bare would be the word it's uh you know be a direct message you and I were talking and they really do have a lot of role players you know that's uh it's just it's kind of a lineup of, of role players with Andrew Kisner as the centerpiece, and uh, luckily you know Tommy Edmond setting the stage ahead, and just things aren't clicking. You know, offensively it's not clicking right now. Uh, I I do really like the one two three of Edmond Thomas and Kisner, and they, those three guys could do some damage. But you know they're they're getting subpar defense right now. Uh, by the way, Kisner Kisner looked great behind the plate last night. I mean, he blocked everything, and he was getting a workout, too. And that was really, really encouraging. But, yeah, just if I were to sum up uh, the Springfield Cardinals' first six games of the season, including tonight's game, I would just say uh, things aren't clicking yet for the Springfield Cardinals. Yeah, that sounds about right. So we go from Springfield down one level to Palm Beach, where, honestly, there's a couple players who I half expected to be in Springfield are in their lineup, and they have – a pretty good lineup, especially compared to last year when they were kind of in the same situation Springfield's in right now. Uh, they had uh, three of our top 30 position players uh, in their lineup, and that's Trostclair and Andy Young 
And here's the third one. Who am I forgetting here? In our top 30, it was Young, Trusclair, and uh, uh, Evan Mendoza, of course. Yeah, Mendoza. Mendoza. Love Evan Mendoza. Yeah, they are. Uh, so here's the thing. Like you said, they're, they're intriguing. And they've already hit more home runs than I would have thought they would have hit by, the, you know, maybe the end of April uh, as a team. By the way, they got rained out tonight, so, you know, they didn't play. But as a team, they've already hit eight home runs, uh, and it's spread out throughout the roster. That's really, really good. It, it's a really intriguing lineup. And the way that they're, the, the lineup is set with Kramer Robertson at the top has been really, really interesting. I, uh, I didn't expect that. And it seems like he's taking better at bats, which is good. He doesn't seem like he's chasing after stuff. I really like this roster. I really like. I, I wish we could watch them. I wish I didn't have to listen to them and get reports from from uh, from Palm Beach because I, w- I would really like to dig in and watch this team and maybe more so than any other team that's that's going right now in the Cardinals organization. You know, I uh, what it, it's what's really stood out to me are the guys that the Cardinals acquired that we kind of scoffed at how, how they've hit because obviously. We're invested in Andy Young. We're invested in Chase Pinder and Mendoza, Kramer Robertson, and uh, Stefan Trosclair. But the, the two names, J.B. Woodman and Johan Miesis. Woodman, of course, was uh, acquired for Ledmes Diaz, and Johan Miesis was just acquired for Brave Valera right before the start of the minor league season. Uh, both of those guys have, have done really, really well in the lineup. Uh, Miesis. Is he he doesn't get on base? That's going to be obvious. There there are going to be virtually no walks from from Miesis, but he has really really good pop, and you can tell he's a really solid outfielder. Uh, and, and Woodman, who again has he he struck out too much, but I've been impressed with what I've watched out of him. He, he he's at this point he's old for the level, but he's he's kind of been fun to watch. So I've been really I've been really enjoying watching uh, watching along through MLB Game Day getting some reports from, from Palm Beach Jupiter and uh, and listening to the game because the lineup is good and it seems like the pitching is going to be really good as well. Uh, Colin, now do you ever take advantage of listening to the games through MILB TV? So I listened to Johan Oviedo's start, which made me not ever want to listen to a game again. Yeah. Meanwhile, Edmundo Sosa just made a relay to third and just hosed the guy trying to stretch a double into a triple. Put uh-huh. a throw right on the money. That was a hell of a throw by Edmundo Sosa. Um, and that's Roach who started that relay, it looks like. Um, yeah. So just a couple guys we just briefly touched on. And as that was happening, the Brewers decided to pay it forward and walk in and run for the Cardinals, which Holland so graciously gave them one yesterday. Um, so now that game's one-to-one. Although yeah, you'll be listening to this well after that happened, but they finally scored a freaking run. But, yeah, the, the walk the walk issue to Gyro Muno. Oh, number there. 17 on the list. Go read about him. Yeah. Um, but no, like the Palm Beach roster is in a weird spot. Like these guys are in the back half of our top 30 for the most part, but they it seems like they have the potential with a good year as Elias Alvarez takes an at-bat against Springfield. Yeah. Um, they have the chance to really push their way up the list and up the system this year. Andy Young should be in Springfield by the end of this year. I wouldn't be that shocked if Evan Mendoza ends up in Springfield this year, especially with how bare their roster is. 
Stefan Trostclair is kind of in the same boat. And, you know, Miesis has hit a bunch of home runs in his minor league career. So, like, they have a lot of interesting guys who I feel like going into 2019 could really grow their stock going into that next season, especially if they have a big year this year. But, gosh, it's just uh, kind of one of those things where you just wonder how that park will affect their offense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and luckily, it's working out well for the pitching staff so far. You know, Ian Oxnavad, who I think ultimately profiles as a loogie entering this season, reports were that his, his changeup was on point. That's his best secondary offering. Uh, his fastball living, you know, right about the 90-mile-an-hour range, the low 90s. It, it seems like the, the rumor is that Oxnavad might have taken the next step in his development. And, you know, maybe that goes just from being like, a projected loogie to being a fourth or fifth, or, you know, a fifth starter, more than likely. Uh, but, you know, up and down, except for from, uh, uh, whose name I'm going to butcher, Yason Medina, uh, everyone there has pitched well, except for Medina and Jacob Patterson, who a lot of people were really high on as a potential loogie. Uh, I believe he's still getting lefties out, it's just that righties are hammering him. I like that. I like that Michael O'Reilly's pitching well, uh, Ian Oxnavad, Austin Warner. And it doesn't seem, especially with Oxnavad, that it's aided so much uh, by the ballpark. And that's good. That's really, really good. Uh, another really interesting thing that's happening with the Palm Beach pitching staff, uh, one of the top prospects entering the season, one of the top 30 prospects in the organization, Entering last season, Ronnie Williams, who had the worst year of any of the top 30 entering the season, uh, pitching exclusively out of the Palm Beach bullpen, has pitched really, really well. And his velocity is back up. And uh, he seemed, it seems to have streamlined his mechanics. So that's going to be something really worth keeping an eye on as we go forward. Uh, I, I just pulled up the numbers because I wanted to know He's thrown 4.1 innings over two appearances, and he struck out five. Uh, and he's, you know, there's a good chance he's going to become the go-to reliever in sticky situations. So uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be keeping an eye out on that. Yeah, I pointed that out in my post tomorrow, which just kind of recaps what's gone on so far, what we're talking about tonight. But when we started this last year, he was one of your biggest disappointments, and it seemed like he couldn't buy an outing without giving up a double or a home run or multiple runs, and then to get off to a good start this year out of the bullpen, it's good to see. And and going down uh, one more level, we'll start talking about Peoria a little bit. I did watch the one game that was probably the worst Peoria game to watch this year, and that was the one where Johan Elviedo made the start. If you don't know yet, he walked his first five batters, which resulted in two runs, and then struck out the sixth battery face before being pulled. It was a really cold night. Peoria had the day before their game was canceled just because it was too cold to play baseball, which is kind of crazy to think about in April. But, you know, Johan Oviedo is obviously someone, an international signing. Do you think the cold had a lot to do with that? Probably. I think nerves and cold. You know, in the past, the Cardinals have called on Dominican and Cuban-born players, and uh, it never really ever goes well when they get the advanced aggressive promotion to a full-season club early in cold weather. Now, that doesn't take away. There, there were other couple other things to take away from that game. The strike zone was terrible that game. Uh, 
Uh, strike zone was super tight, which was really funny because the next night it had they had the same home plate up, and uh, that dude had the widest strike zone. It was like he realized that he had done something wrong the night before and tried to tried to make amends for it. But it doesn't change that Johan Oviedo was overthrowing everything. Uh, more than likely, if if he hadn't thrown so many pitches, he would have stayed in the game. I believe he hit the uh, the innings pitch count cap that the Cardinals have set for their prospects, and that's why they pulled him. Not not necessarily because of uh, the struggle of walking five in a row. Like if he, had, you know, he might have pitched to another person. It was nice to see him end his start on a strike, uh, strike out. I I like. That, but you know, without getting into the team yet, the the one thing that's really stuck out to me in the couple Peoria games I've I've been able to watch is, I mean, that the Midwest League strike zone is, is kind of all over the place. It's really really inconsistent. And uh, also, I feel bad for those guys. They've had two of their five games rained out at this point. The rained out slash snowed out. That's a tough way to start the season. Yeah, and that I didn't really even say anything about their offensive stats. Juan Yepes is hitting over five hundred, but it's been four games, three games. Uh, a couple other guys are over three hundred, but when you're playing every other day, it's really hard to find a rhythm, and especially when you're playing every other day in the cold, it's extremely hard to find a rhythm. Um, you know, there's not really much there right now with that team. Dylan Carlson's one for nine, but that's nine at bats. Like, who cares? Honestly, um, I think that second turn to the rotation as the weather gets a little bit warmer here, hopefully will be a lot more interesting. Um, yeah, there's just not much there for me, honestly, with Peoria right now. They just haven't played enough. I I was getting some really solid reports from, uh, uh, from uh, Bradenton, rather, um, about Jake Walsh and his first start. He, he was a season opener. You know, he's, he's one of my little sleeper prospects who I really like. Uh, it seemed like he, he struggled early on. He walked four in his start, but he uh, he started getting his curve over for strikes, and that seemed to be the, the game changer for him. Any any talk about Peoria right now that doesn't involve pitching, because the pitching's been solid, for, you know, it's been okay, all things considered, is Juan Yepes, because it, watching the couple games that I've been able to watch, Yepes is hammering the baseball. He has four extra base hits and 15 at-bats. He hasn't struck out yet. And it just looks, he looks, at least right now, and having not seen a lot of him last year, he looks on point. And uh, that's really positive. And unfortunately, most people will have to strap in and uh, wait until we get through one more week of hopefully uh, climate-participating weather for baseball to get a, a better feel for exactly what's going on in Peoria. Yeah, this weather's been freaking brutal, man. <laughs> it's been awful. We played on Sunday. It was 35 degrees, and it was sleeting oh. during batting practice. And it was the worst thing ever. But, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Though. Hopefully the weather warms up. Springfield comes home on th- We talk. Plan on talking again next week. What, uh, what are some of the things that you want to see change? Got some guys. Connor Green throws strikes. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. a pure hitter. I think he has a very high high ceiling in that category. Times and like twenty or twenty two at bats or something like that, and I thought, oh, let's, I'll take that. Two count in the in the first inning or second inning tonight. I guess it's the first inning. Cause finish this off on a more of a lighthearted note. 
What'd you think of the Yachty Troy Lavelle? Oh, had a quick trigger there. I feel like he probably meant to throw Pollock out of the game and fall around. Lavolo said the wrong thing, and Yachty reacted to it. He overreacted. It got really bad if the umpire would have lost his mind. And bull rushed Molina, too. It got bull rushed by Molina. And so yep. they're going to play a game with Francisco Pena as their only catcher at some point. who caught in college. That's just kind of a weird predicament that they'd be stuck in because... Uh, you know, uh, uh, reactive. I, I don't think I'd care so much. I think I'd be a little bit more nonchalant. See happen. You know, when the Blues, when the Blues need an emergency goalie, they have this, like, guy. His name's somewhere and... I volunteer. What do you say? I volunteer. I'll do that. That's awesome. That's that's actually fantastic. Is that how that Blackhawks guy ended up? 15 minutes and didn't let up a goal for yeah. the Blackhawks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Should have used him I against the that. Avalanche. Oh, don't, no talk about the Avalanche. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I won't do that then. Well, that looks <laughs> like that's another episode for us. Uh, this has been another episode of Prospect to Name Blader. We are into the season now, which means we're going to have our weekly episodes coming at you every week. We're excited about it. We hope you're excited about it. Uh, you can catch up on our top 30 or my chat with Johnny Rodriguez in the previous episodes. If you like what you hear, please rate or review the podcast. You can find my work on redbirddaily.com and Kyle's work on birdsontheblack.com. Uh, please stay tuned. Please subscribe so you can be here for the next episodes and get more and more updates on the Cardinals minor league system as we wind through the 2018 season. Thanks for listening to Prospect from Dan Blader. Talk to you soon.